You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Thank you. You can take your seats, and uh, while you're doing that, uh, get your Bibles out and open them up to First uh, Chronicles chapter 17. First uh, Chronicles chapter 17. That's probably about one third of the way uh, through your Bible, if you uh, can't find it. Um, we want to take a look at the story of of David this morning and some things that were going on in his life. But I trust will be helpful for you as uh, you work your way through your lives during these very interesting, somewhat complex days. The, the message uh, for me as we think about the theme of grounded um, for the church is, is, I choose to pray. That's the message today. I choose to pray. Um, is prayer the first thing that comes to your mind as you're going through the struggle? Is, 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 as you face whatever it is you face, do you automatically go to the Lord in prayer? I wish I could say I do. I wish I could, but so often in my life, I try and do things on my own. I try and figure out my own stuff first, and, and the Lord kind of gets it somewhere down the line once I'm like, okay, I guess I can't do this, and so now I need to go to the Lord for it. And so we want to take a look at uh, the life of David and see what he did in all of this, but maybe we could kind of frame this by asking you a question. Can you remember a day? Can you remember a day when God closed the door on a thing that you thought God wanted you to do. You believe God wanted you to do something, and he closed the door for you on that. Um, I think about the church that I pastored in Markham. We were looking to plant a church in Newmarket, and, and we were going to do it traditional way of uh, um, bringing in a guy who would be the church planter, and, and then, you know, we'd start with a core group, and it would grow much like this church did, right? And um, and the Lord didn't have that in mind for us. We couldn't find a guy. We couldn't get a guy. We couldn't. We talked to two or three guys, and and eventually the elders went. Well, we really still believe God wants us to do this. So so what is it? And and so we went a different way. Uh, we we. Uh, chose it as a campus church, and we started it that way. And, and then the Lord provided us the guy who was the guy to take it from being the campus church to then being the senior pastor. His name is Mike Armstrong. He's still there. A couple hundred people. Well, we don't know it's COVID, but before COVID, a couple hundred people worshiping together. Um, we had a plan. Um, God closed the door but then God opened a different way or a different thing for us. Maybe you can think of illustrations of that in your life, and we want to see that in David's life um, as we uh, consider I choose to pray. And so in a moment, I'm going to read the text, but I want to give you a little bit of background to what's going on here. Uh, David is now the king. He's done all of that running in the wilderness away from um, Saul, and he's now been made the king. A uh, number of weeks ago, I was here. We preached from uh, chapter 16, and it was talking about uh, principles. He wrote a song of thanksgiving to the Lord, and that's just after uh, the ark has been moved back to Jerusalem, and he writes this song of thanksgiving. And then we come through that part, we come to chapter 17, and in chapter 17, David has a plan. David has a plan. He wants to build a house for the ark. He wants to build the temple in Jerusalem. And he asks Nathan, and Nathan says, go for it. And then Nathan goes home, and that night the Lord reveals to Nathan that David's not supposed to build the temple. 
So David wants to build a house for God. You would think, like, who's going to vote against building a house for God? As a matter of fact, Nathan, I believe, felt that so strongly, he didn't even ask the Lord. He just said, you do it. You do it. And then Nathan has to come back the next day and tell uh, David that, yeah, God has a different plan. In chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I will dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. Right? I want to build a temple for God. Nathan's like, yeah, you go for it. Look at the next verse. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. You go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it's not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Um, David had a plan. It seemed like a great plan. Who's going to vote against building a house for God? And Nathan just says, you go for it. Now, remember who this guy Nathan is? Nathan is a prophet who, who David leaned on. Nathan is the one later on in David's life who's going to be the one who, who confronts him about his sin with Bathsheba and his um, killing of Uriah and saying, you're the man. Um, but it, this is earlier in David's life. And, and so Nathan now, after telling David, go for it, has to come back before the king and tell him, yeah, there's a change in plans. Now, understand the significance of that. You didn't just walk into the king's presence ever. Remember when Esther, Esther, when she wanted to go before the king, she was like nervous to go before the king. What if he doesn't want me to come? What if he refuses me? If you went before the king and he refused you, you could be put to death. So Nathan, who's just told them good news, now comes back with the bad news, but he has to come before the king. Uh, But he does, he comes, oops, oops, verse three, But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. A little side principle for us. Be careful when you think God has something for you to do and you don't bathe it in prayer, you don't take it before the Lord because it just seems like, well, yes, obviously, obviously that's the right thing to do. Um, Not always. So in verse four, he has to deliver the bad news. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it's not my will, not not you who will build me a house to dwell in. And David receives this message and he has the bad news that he's not going to get to do what he wants to do. Um, There's more to the story as to why he wouldn't build the temple. Um, Over in, a couple pages over in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 6, it says, And then he called for Solomon, his son, this is David, and charged him to build the house of the Lord of God to Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. And you shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. And so David now has that fuller understanding that he is not going to build a house. But it wasn't all bad news for him. It's not just like you're not going to do it. God gives him some promises in this text. And in verses 7 through 15 of our text, God tells him he's going to raise up his son to do it. He's going to build him a house. And he's going to take care of him. And that his kingdom is going to go on forever. Um, Now, we understand that because we understand that out of the line of David came Jesus Christ. Uh, David, no way he could have understood at at that time, but God makes some promises for him. All of that to kind of set us up for our text for today. 
And if I was to kind of put this down as a, a big idea, a thing that I wanted to get my head around, it's like this. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. Or when things get too difficult for me, I will pray. Or as I'm just going through the journey of my life, I will pray. Um, David learned this. I need to learn it. And we see his prayer uh, starting in verse 16 of our text. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? This was a small thing in your eyes, O God, that you have spoken to your servant house for a great while to come and, and have shown my future generations, shown me future generations, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. When, when we think about coming to God in prayer, there are two, two main points I want to make in this message today. Here's the first one. It's taking a look at ourselves. Um, we want to take a look at the character of the person who prays. Take a look at the character of the person who prays. So we want to take a look at David and what was his character. And then you can take that. We're going to apply that in our own lives. What's, what's our own character as we come to God? When we're Got a plan, we think we're moving forward, and God changes the plan, or it seems to dissolve in front of us. Like, what do we do? Well, we need to come to God in prayer. Well, what does the person look like who comes to God in prayer? And in this verse it says, And then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, and before I give you two principles of his character, I want you to see these things about him. Here it said, David went in and he sat. He went and he sat before the Lord. There are lots of different postures in prayer that are demonstrated in Scripture, and they're all good, and they're all legitimate, and we need to practice probably all of them. And uh, uh, sometimes as you study Scripture, you will see that um, when, when you come to pray, you, you stand. We see that. We see pictures in the Bible where someone was standing before the Lord. Um, another posture for prayer is uh, people who kneel and get down on their knees before the Lord. And I think that's a great posture of prayer that I don't do enough. I do it, but I don't do it enough because that shows reverence before God. Um, do you ever get on your knees to pray? You ever get before God? It's one thing just to pray. You know, you can stand here and pray or sit there and pray, but do you ever like Take that step of humility to get on your knees before the Lord to pray. That's another posture for prayer. You can stand. You can, you can kneel. Um, sometimes in great challenge, in great heaviness, you just lay out prostrate before the Lord. And uh, you cry out to him, Lord, we don't know what to do. Or, we just got nothing, Lord. And you just on your face before God. Have you ever been in that place? Or maybe someone suddenly was taken from you or a tragedy happened in your life. And, and you just cried out to God and found yourself weeping, laying on the floor. That's a good position for prayer. Um, laying out prostrate. Sometimes we have our hands raised. Sometimes we have our head bowed says here, David sat. But he's the king. And in this picture, he's not sitting on his throne. He didn't go into the throne room, and I'm the king, and I'm going to sit down and talk to God. As a matter of fact, it doesn't tell us whether he was sitting on the floor, sitting on a stool, sitting on a bench. All we know is that he says he went in and he sat. Now, when I think about that, it brings some words to mind for me. Um, it means he stopped. 
He was a busy man. He had a lot of things that were going on in his life, and, and so he had to stop. Um, I don't stop well. I just don't stop well. I'm a get up in the morning and go till you go to bed kind of guy. I don't stop well. But David was the king. And in the middle of all this, he's going along and he says he, he, he sat. He stopped. He stopped. We need to do that. You, you need to do that. I need to do that. In the busyness of our lives, we need to stop. When you sit down like that, you also focus. You focus. He got his eyes on some things. We're going to see some things he said in this prayer that he, he did because he, he took the time to stop. He took the time to focus. He took the time to set aside other things in his life. Um, he had servants all around him, people who were demanding his time, and he's like, no, stop it. I need to focus. I need to get my eyes on the Lord right now. He wasn't distractive, distracted, but, but he was also active. This wasn't a passive thing. This was, a, I'm going to come before the Lord, and I'm getting my focus on you, and this is going to be active for me. So when, when it says David went in and he sat, it doesn't mean that there was not much going on. There was a lot going on in his heart. There was a lot going on in his life. And when you stop and you sit, you also say, okay, Lord, I'm not in a hurry. We'll take the time. Whatever the time is needed for this, that's what we're going to do. And so David, in the midst of his, I thought I was going to build a house to God, and now I'm told I'm not. What did he do? He went in and he, he sat before the Lord. He sat before the Lord. I pray in different ways in my life. Lots of times I, I do it when I'm seated. Sometimes I kneel. Um, occasionally I've laid out before the Lord. I raise my hand sometimes. I, I like to pray when I'm driving. Um, eyes open. I trust you know that. My, my wife prays for me when I'm driving. Um, but I like to pray when I'm driving. I'm, I'll get on the QEW and they're going 100 and plenty as I'm going along. And, and, uh, but as I'm going by certain things, I like to pray for people I know about or on the uh, 407 or wherever the highway I'm on and I'm going along. If I'm ever coming down to, through Niagara, I would often, often pray for this church just as I'm driving along and people who I know in communities and all the rest. Like, that's just another way you can pray, another thing you can do. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a, you need to stop and you need to focus time. And that's what David does here. It says he, he sat. The second thing it says is, and he said, he said. Um, in Romans, it talks about sometimes when we pray, we're so not sure what to pray that it says that our groanings by God's Spirit are made clear in heaven, right? And you just don't even know what to pray. There are times like that. But you need to pray anyways. Because it's clear in heaven. It's clear in heaven. God's spirit makes it clear in heaven. And so sometimes when we pray, it's groaning. Sometimes it's singing. Sometimes, sometimes you just need to be still and silent. Be still and know that I am God. Um, but David here says, and he said, he said, he speaks. And look what he says. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far. Um, David understood that God was in control. David understood that God was the one he needed to appeal to. David understood that that was where the focus needed to be. So here's the two. Here's the two principles I want you to get about his character. The first one, if you just read the whole text from uh, verses 16 to 27, you would see a repeated word. Um, Ten times the word servant is used in this text. 
If, if you're going to come before the Lord in prayer, you must come as a servant. Now, David was the king. He wasn't the servant to anyone. Everyone else was the servant to him. But in this relationship, 10 times he refers to himself as the servant, the servant, the servant, the servant. When I come to God in prayer, do I come with that spirit? Do I come with that attitude? Do I come with that, Lord, you are in heaven, I am on, I am your servant? Or am I coming to God with, okay, I got my stuff I need and I need to jump onto my list, we need to get through it, and David came as a servant. It's a great picture because that was the picture of Jesus Christ in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of, of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus Christ and his coming for us came as a servant. How much more when we come before a holy, awesome God do we come as people of God as servants? Philippians 2, 7, but made himself nothing, speaking of Jesus, taking the form of a servant and being formed in the likeness of man. A Jesus came as a servant. David comes before the Lord as a, a servant. Jesus came and he washed our feet. Jesus came and he died on a cross. Jesus came and he surrendered so much so that he could come and, and serve so that we could have eternal life. How much more when I come before God do I need to come with a heart and a spirit of, of servanthood? He came as a servant. Now check your heart when you pray. Are you coming with your, uh, no God, you're my servant. I've got my list. Here's what I expect you to do for me. Or do you come with a heart that says, God, you are everything and I am nothing and I deserve nothing. It kind of leads to the second part of his character and he, as he came, he came as a servant, but he also came in humility. He came in humility. Look at that verse 18. And, and what more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. You know your servant. God knew everything about David. God knew the good, the bad, and the ugly. And God knows everything about me. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. God knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. So when we come before him, we dare not come with pride. We dare not come with arrogance. And do you remember in Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah sees the Lord, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What did it make him do? He fell on his face before the Lord. He cried out to God. It humbled him before God. Every ounce of pride was gone from him. Pride is the greatest prayer stopper that there is. If you have a wrong view of yourself, if you think more highly of yourself than you should, when you come before the Lord, your prayer life will fall flat. Because what do you need God for? You don't need God for anything. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. Humble themselves. Think rightly about yourselves. See, that's what humility is. Humility is really having a proper view of who you are in light of who God is. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
1 Peter 5, 16, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Proverbs eleven two: when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so David comes before the Lord as a servant. David is coming before the Lord in humility and David accepts God's no. You have a plan? No. You're not going to do that plan. You're not going to be the one who fills out that plan. I have a different plan. It will be a better plan, but you're going to have to trust me in that plan. When God says no to your plan, when God says no to what you thought or what you wanted, do you come to the place? Do you come to the understanding? I don't want what I want. I want what God wants in my life. That's what we need to be after as followers of Jesus Christ. Not what I want, but what does God want for me? Do you willingly do that? I'm sure David went through a journey. I'm sure he had to figure it all out, but he comes before the Lord and he comes before the Lord for you know your servant. David had allowed God to search his heart. He was ready to come before his Lord and So when you wanted a relationship and God says no, do you humble yourself before God? When you wanted a job opportunity and and God said no, do you humble yourself before the Lord? When you wanted to make a move in something that you wanted to do and God said no, do you humble yourself before the Lord? When you want the timing of some event and God says no, Uh, Do you humble yourself before the Lord? I've talked to a number of couples during the last number of months who are planning on getting married. And it's like, we don't have a venue. We don't have a place for our reception afterwards. We don't have a, we don't have a, we don't have a. And it's, um, you had a plan. In his heart, a man makes his plans, Proverbs says. But God orders our steps. When God says no, because I have a different plan. Do you come under God's plan? COVID restrictions. Biggest pain in the neck in our lives right now. People are arguing and fighting and scuffling about all kinds of things. And, and we're, we lose sight of the grace of God and we lose sight of what Jesus Christ has done. And, and I get my things all, I get wound up about this stuff too. I, I love preaching because I get to take my mask off for 42 minutes and talk in a room filled with people. Okay, so, yeah, I got to work through my stuff on this too, for sure, right? But, but are we showing grace to one another? Are we caring for one another? Are we loving one another in what we're doing and how we're doing it? So far, nobody's told me I can't open, I got to stop opening God's word. Nobody's told me I can't preach God's word. Nobody said anything like that for me. So how do we with grace and love and courage and support and help one another when, when God says no to our plans? Nobody writing the script for this church would have had you go through what you're going through as a church right now with leadership changes and all the rest and, and then stuck COVID in on top of it. Like, if anybody asked you four years ago, what would you be doing as a church right now? No one wrote this script. Nobody did. And yet God is working. You realize that if if everybody shows up today, there'll be seven baptisms at your church today? Like, how awesome is the working of God in that? Right? Uh, People are coming, and you had to go to two services, and however the numbers were that David was talking about, people who are coming to, to learn about the church and visit the church and You had a plan, but God said, no, I got a different plan, but watch how I work in my plan. 
Watch what only I can do. Because then at the end of it, you'll be like, yeah, we didn't do that. That's what the Lord did, right? And so David, we have David, he comes to the Lord. He comes humbly to the Lord. He comes as a servant before the Lord. That is the character of the man or the woman who cries out to the Lord in prayer. Are those things growing in your life every day? Are those the things that you're going after in your life? So that's the character of the man who prays. Now let's take a look at the character of our God who answers prayer. So we see how David came, but let's see how he refers to God. Now, I know you're going to be a little nervous about this because you're like, you're not even halfway through the message yet, and um, there's another service coming, and I got like 10 points for you. So hold on tight because here we go. What does the God who David came to as a servant and humility, what does he look like? Who is he? At verse 19, we see that God is compassionate or he's passionate. Uh, For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all of these great things. I serve a God who is passionate for me. You serve a God who is passionate. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's passionate for you. He wants you to move forward. He wants to work for your glory. He wants to work for his glory in your life. He's passionate for you. According to your own heart, God. David looked and he saw the heart of God for what God wanted. And he goes, that's what I want. I want what God wants. I don't want what I want. Because because what God wants ultimately will be for, for his glory, be for my best. God is passionate. He's a God who's not like us. Verse 20. There's none like you, O Lord. There's no God beside you. There's no God who is like you. Um. God's working is not like we would plan. God's, God's ways are not our ways, and, and that's okay when you understand it because you understand God's promises that he's not going to leave you and he's not going to forsake you, and there's, there's none like you, God. There's none. Other people might care for me. Sue cares for me. She loves me, but she doesn't love me like God loves me, right? Um, I love her, but I can't love her like God loves her. There's none. There's none like you, God. David saw that in his God. He goes on in in the second part of that verse. In verse 20, he says, um, there's none like you, O Lord, and there's no God besides you. There's no God besides you. We live in a world that's filled with pluralism. You just find God in your way, and there's so many different gods, and it's actually just one God. No, no. There's no God like you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. It's not like you pick a path and figure your way to God. There's one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. God is passionate. God's not like us. God alone, he's alone in his character. Here's a cool one, verse 21. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making for yourself a name for great and awesome things and driving out nations before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. And so we have this picture of God redeeming the nation, taking them out of, the, taking them out of Egypt and bringing them back into the land and giving them all that. They, they were to remember all these things. Just remember how God redeemed you, how God redeemed you. Hey, follower of Jesus Christ, remember how God redeemed you. Remember how Jesus Christ paid the price. Remember how you had a debt that was so big. 
Remember that you couldn't deal with that sin. That sin was too much. God's standard was no sin. God's standard was perfection. God's standard was sinlessness. And not one of us in the room ever comes close to meeting that standard. But because of the finished work of Jesus Christ where he redeemed us, it means he bought us back. It means he paid the price. So David, as he looks at his God, he goes, God, you are a redeeming God. Hey, children of God, let's always remember that we serve a redeeming, loving, caring, bought me back God. He redeemed. He redeems us. And by faith alone in Christ alone, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift from God. For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift that comes from God. Your redemption was God's gift for you. And all you have to do is accept it. All you can do is accept it. And you put your faith and trust. We heard those stories, three of them, in this service of people who transferred their trust for themselves, put their hope in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is a redeeming God. See, that's who David was praying to. That's why David could surrender his plan of building the temple and just, Lord, you will provide me a house and you're going to take care of the kingdom and, um, because, God, you're a redeeming God. You're a redeeming God. God is known by his name. We see that in verse 21 as well. Who is like you, like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, making for yourself a name, for great and awesome things and driving out the nations before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. And down in verse 24, and your name will be established and magnified uh, forever, saying, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, um, is Israel's God, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. Um, God is known by his name. Verse 21, we see that he's, see his name is awesome but we also realize his name will not be ever forgotten. And that's the character of our God. That's the character of our God. The name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You, you, want, you want proof that the name is significant? You use any other name in our society and it's okay. You use the name of Jesus and you just watch what happens. It's the name. It's the name. If it's so bogus, why does everybody get so wound up about it? Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. And so the world hates, Satan hates the name of Jesus Christ being used, and, but he's known by his name. You will call his name Jesus, Mary and Joseph were told, because why? Because he will save his people from their sins the character of the God we pray to, he's known by his name and the working of that name. Here's another one. Um, he's a personal God in verse 22. And you made your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Um, God chose me in him before the foundation of the world. And I have a personal relationship with him in Jesus Christ. He's a personal God. He's not a God out there who cannot be known he is known, and he's known in, our, in his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He became their God. Um, here's another thing. The word of God is enough. The word of God is, is enough in his character, verse 23. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken, let the word that you have said, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
Um, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, right? God's Word is enough. God has given us His Word. He's given us His Word. He's protected it for us so we can have everything we need to lead us to godliness and righteousness in our knowing Him and in our walk with Him. And God has given us His Word, and it's enough for us. And His Word is trustworthy. And do as you have spoken, it says. And do we listen to the Word of God? Are we studying the Word of God? Are we seeking to know the Word of God? And are we seeking to do it in our lives? Because God has given it to us. Another thing that we learn about the character of God is He meets our every need. He meets our every need. In, in verse um, 25, it says, For you, my God, have revealed to your uh, servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. Uh, so David wanted to build a house for God. God said no, but God said, I will take care of building a house for you. I will take of your generations and take care of your generations. And he gives us a promise that's coming here that will be for David for um, the fact that Jesus Christ would come through his line. But the fact that God is the promiser who keeps our every need. Now, David had seen it. He'd gone through the difficult times. He'd gone through the valleys. He'd gone through the wilderness. And now he's been exalted and he's now the king of the nation. He's seen how God meets our need, do you believe God meets your needs? Do you believe it in the middle of the hard things, in the middle of some of you are sitting in this room wondering, am I going to have a job at the end of next week? Am I going to have a job at the end of next month? My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have clothes on your back? Do you have food on your table? And if you don't, do you not, because of pride and an unwillingness to ask for help from God's people and support from God's people, and um, working with the church in Markham right now, and we're talking about coming up to Christmas and being generous with people. There's a lady in the church who needs help to pay her rent. She's a single mom with two kids, and she was in asking for help, and the elders are going to talk about that on Monday. I can tell you what the answer is going to be. Of course, we're going to take care of her, and that will be the provision for her. Sometimes we think, well, God didn't provide the way. It doesn't matter if God provided the way you wanted. Did God provide? He promises that he will. We need to trust him and watch and see. Um, he meets our every need. Verse 26, he keeps his promises. And you, O Lord, you are God. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. And the last one is, he's a God who blesses. And you have been Please to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O Lord, who have blessed and blessed forever. So we just flew through that. We just flew through all of these things. These are the things as David humbly as a servant comes before the Lord. Now he looks at the character of his God and these are the things that he rehearses. You, did you notice he didn't have a big hit list of things he wanted? He didn't have a hit list of, okay, I got to come to God in prayer. I got 18 things, God, I need you to do. Um, there are some things in there that God has said he would do and he's trusting God to do. But his prayer was about his character and God's character. And then he was going to trust the Lord. See, God helped me to be more like that. 
God help me to be examining myself as I come to him in prayer, in humility, in servanthood, and focusing on how awesome he is and how he takes care of every need. And he did it in my salvation. He does it in his caring for me. He does, God just works in so many different ways. He pours his blessing out on us on ways if we don't stop and see it, we forget so quickly. Well, as I like to do when I'm studying my Bible and preaching is to say, so what? So what? See, we must believe and receive based on coming in humility as a servant to our God who hears and answers prayer. And so will we trust him today? David, as he went through the, nope, you're not going to be the guy. But David goes, I will trust you, Lord. So here are some things. Will we trust him? Will you trust him to forgive your sin? Maybe you're here today, you've heard these testimonies, you've heard about the work of Christ, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. As I said, you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. It's an act of faith, a transfer of your trust to the work of Jesus Christ, to, for, for Christ to forgive you in salvation, but also in keeping us, in keeping us. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows what you're going through. The Lord knows what's not right with him. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. So will you come to him humbly as a servant and confess your sin and believe? Will you trust him to give you peace? John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Philippians 4, 4 to 9, I'm not going to read it all, but it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen with me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Are you trusting God for his peace? Are you trusting him to guide and teach you? I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God's care and his compassion for you is with his eye upon you. He wants what's going to bring him glory in your life. I will guide and I'll teach you. I will grow you up and I will keep you. Um, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's the last one. He will help you in your time of need. Hebrews 4.16. And let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When life is hard, I will pray. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be grounded in his word for sure, but we need to be people who are grounded in prayer setting aside our agenda, setting aside what we want, and humbly coming to our God as servants, understanding who he is and what he's done, and seeking to live every single day, one day at a time, for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you can take it and you can use it. And Lord, I pray that even as we've read and seen and studied this prayer for a king, a king who had it all, he didn't lack in anything. But Lord, when he faced his disappointment, when he faced his struggle, what did he do? He cried out to you, teach me, God, 
Teach me not to do that as the third or fourth thing, but to do that as the first thing. Teach me not to allow pride to be what kills my prayer life because I think I can accomplish things. I think I can do these things. That, but Lord, to, to yield myself and come to you and cast my cares upon you because you care for me and trust in who you are, a sovereign, caring, loving God to do your work in your way for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.